Welcome to Mountain Whispers Podcast. This is a show exploring the deeper lessons we learn from the outdoors. Here I chat to interesting people within mountain culture about the way that the outdoors has transformed them, their most vivid experiences and how themes like risk, fear, flow, awe, and deep connection show up in their relationship with the outdoors. In this conversation, I'm speaking to Kyle Cock. Kyle is a nature-based facilitator and movement coach. He previously trained at the Wilderness Awareness School, which, funny enough, if you listen to episode 17 with Harvey Rustad, it's the same place that uh, Justin Alexander learned his wilderness survival skills from. Currently, Kyle is a coach and facilitator with Evolve Move Play, an organization that runs online trainings as well as in-person courses and retreats developing an outdoor movement practice in a way that brings together nature-based practices, parkour, as well as a deeper philosophy that integrates Taoism, evolutionary science, biomechanics, and, and mythology. It's, it's really, really cool. We have a really stimulating and, and nourishing conversation, one that um, left me with a lot of things I'm going to continue to explore in, in, in future episodes. We chat about how Kyle fell in love with the outdoors, how his practice with the outdoors evolved, and, and what exactly that looks like, including what it means to give attention to the natural world and the way that this practice evolves with time and in terms of what we can pick up from the nature around us. Kyle uses a metaphor of the cord of connection in terms of the way that we can access deeper meaning and connection with the world and also the way that this can be a muscle that strengthens over time. We talk about other practices for deeper connection such as foraging, um, sourcing of food locally, understanding the foods that grow in your bioregion, making clothing out of your foods, as well as the method that is taught with Evolve Move Play. We talk about the importance of, and power of, of cultivating a, a state of play in what we're doing, um, on the risk and danger in, in parkour, specifically how you can create a, ta- a container for using risk and fear in a way that can, can cultivate transformation as well as how ideas like reverence and awe show up for, for Kyle. He's clearly a super knowledgeable dude. I had a really good time chatting to him. So please enjoy this conversation with Kyle Cock. Kyle, welcome to Mountain Whispers. Hey, Tim. I'm super stoked to uh, chat with you here today. So I see your your backdrop here. There is the chief, maybe Solani. It's a, you're here in in Squamish. Uh, it's a, a beautiful fall day. Um, tell me, tell me a little bit more about uh, where you're at right now in the seasons. Yeah, I have just kind of wrapped up my summer and early fall, and I'm going nomadic for what feels like uh, the first time in a long time, and. Yeah, I'm kind of following invitations and I got a really sweet invitation to come up to Canada and Squamish and connect and explore this place with a good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. I know on the um, 
something i i noticed in fall specifically in uh, in squamish is um the the bears are trying extra hard and I, and i mean bears animal bears new zealand accent we pronounce them as if drinking bears anyway the the bears are, are doing their final um dig for food for fattening up before they uh before they recluse into in, into hibernation um but i mean following invitation almost almost feels like outreach rather than recluse in, in some ways yeah, I don't, I feel like I, I am in a process of letting go of things and, and needing to like have things and stuff and um, everything's kind of like lined up. And so I'm really just letting go like the leaves are doing right now and just finding my way um, to the ground and, and composting all of the lessons and experiences that I've had this year and using that to really get to like a core practice as I enter uh, into the winter this year. Mm, beautiful. And and I would, would love to uh, make some space to chat about practices um, later on in, in the conversation. But, but before we get to that, um, maybe a useful way to start is I, in listening. I, I've listened to both your, your conversation, one, at least one of your conversations with Rafe on, on Involved Me Play podcast and also your conversation with John and Voices with Viveki. Um, and I know you you come from a IT background before moving into the, the wilderness awareness space. Can you tell us more about uh, how you fell in love with the outdoors, how the outdoors started speaking to you? Yeah, it was it kind of came from a place of like practicality. Like when I was in IT, I was just becoming of the awareness that like I don't have any useful skills that don't require a computer, the internet or electricity, but mostly all of those. If you took away one of those things, my skill set was diminished. And I was just feeling kind of like in this, like, what do I have to offer? Like, what can I do um, and then I, I got really into the survival TV shows and eventually I took my first, uh, survival and awareness course and my mind was blown at, first of all, the deep well of potential that was like hidden inside of me when I made my first bow drill fire, like, wow, sticks, hands, knife, fire this like amazing life-giving force that cooks our food fuels our cars and heats our home like I had access to that really just by being a human right and that really kind of opened up the floodgates of like asking the question like what am I capable of and I knew I needed to explore that question. And, and that led me uh, to going to the Wilderness Awareness School's nine-month uh, nature immersion program. Cool. Cool. I, I, I love the, that you use the language deep well of connection. So something I really like to play with is the fact that we've been anatomically like this anatomically human for 70,000 to a hundred thousand years in that we are deeply hardwired uh, in the, the, the nomadic paleolithic hunter to gather a life where we are one with the seasons where we are a small part of the, the, the ever-changing ecosystem. And um, it, it so often feels like so many people speak of this experience of tapping into something that has been there 
all along. And and you said you fell into this through practicality, but I I can't help but wonder if there was uh, an opening, if there was a calling uh, that you you answered to, you know. Yeah, I think if I if I think about it retro, retrospectively, I could find something in there. But really, in the moment, I was I was just like exploring. Like I was really like I need some skills. Like I need some practical skills that I can engage with. And nature seemed like the best place to do that. And as I was deepening into that like looking back, I realized how disconnected I was from myself, um, my community and the environment around me. And so maybe that was like the deep, like feeling is just like, like, what am I doing? Like I'm drinking every night, I'm partying. I'm like in this race to make money, but my goals like are not clear. They just seem so, it just seems like such a facade I'm chasing and I'm doing these things that are not giving me deep meaning or value or connection. And I just, I think I just felt that lacking. Mm. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's kind of a, a, a beautiful description of, of what John's pointing to in the, in the meaning crisis. Um, and so tell me about what those early years of apprenticing look like of building those skills with uh, the wilderness awareness school out in washington yeah it was very revolutionary it was just moments of exposure to concepts and ideas that were completely foreign to me um as somebody who preaches and teaches about like health and lifestyle um like back then like i had no concept of like diet Right. I didn't know what a paleo, a keto, a raw food, a vegan. I didn't even know what any of those things were. And I I didn't have any concept of like natural movement, you know, other than just like I need to people should probably exercise. And so as we explored these concepts of like animal forms and, and being and putting on the mind of the animal and exploring spaces and then having interactions with animals, finding dens, finding tracks, finding scats, and then foraging my food from the environment. Um, Yeah, mostly plants, but through hunting and fishing, like getting this like other, this opening into a world that I can't believe I was unaware of. As a human on this earth participating for, I was 23 when I went to the school it was remarkable how I had not known or done any of these things that now to me seemed so basic and so to talk a little bit more about that the animal tracking and what what that opens up or the relationship you've developed with with the more than human world through those practices Yeah, it's really this realization that, you know, I think like we look to nature documentaries and we look to TV for entertainment. And when we start to realize that there is a wild world of life and death and action and drama that is playing out every single night in the world, like 
you know, in your backyard, birds are getting murdered on the daily, right? Animals are living and dying in the night. And as you start to, it's like learning a language. You start to figure out that, okay, first there are animals. I don't, you know, a lot of people, including me, I didn't even know what animals were in my area, right? So many of us are, are tuned into a lot of animals that are in Africa, right? We're like North American animals are not really popularized in Disney and cartoons and these um, different ways that we're exposed to them. And so as I learned about the, the beings that were on the land and then learning that conversation of like, oh, okay, this is a, this is a, a cat track. What kind of cat is it? Well, what kind of cats are here? Well, we have cougars and bobcats and lynx and, and you're just starting to peel back these layers and learning that you can glean a tremendous amount of information from just like scuffs in the earth. And as you learn that language and you learn to speak it and become fluent, now you become a participant, right? Like, oh, I pushed those deer. I scared that bear. Like I left my trash out and that actually invited the animals into my space, right? I can start to see that, you know, I am interacting with these creatures, whether I know it or not. And tracking is a way to bring you into the conversation. Yeah. I, I think about my slow process of 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 learning these and that I'm um only I'm still at the early stage of being able to identify whichever green trees are around me. Mm. I'm being able to identify which sparrows it is that that is that that lands on the tree when I'm I'm sitting, you know. And for me there's it's almost like there's two layers. There is, there's the, like the intellectual knowledge of knowing this is the types of characteristics that leads to this name, which is a tree. But what's been more impactful for me is opening up to the subtleties of being able to recognize slightly different shades of a tree so a a practice that i've adopted um i think through first hearing people talking about the wilderness awareness school was was sit spotting and and my sit spot is at uh is alice lake provincial park not not far from me and just the things that i regularly will pick up and be like how did i not notice that how did i not notice that change of color in the tree next to me uh how did i not notice that what's going uh, what's going on in this uh, a specific feature of a, a bird's beak etc like the, the the nuances that open up through attention is what mm. amazes me enchants me the most yeah i really am under the opinion that attention is what brings life to the world right the things when you give something your attention, you're bringing it into being essentially, essentially, right? We, we see so many things that we, we don't, we don't like, we see them, but we don't like experience them, right? We we're filtering for relevance. We're like, 
yeah, yeah, I don't care, don't care, don't care. Oh, that's relevant. Now, once it becomes relevant, it's real to you. And then you can start to interact with it. And I think that first layer of noticing and then giving it your attention makes it more real to you. And then you that like that initial thread, like it's like a fishing line of connection, right? And as you give it more of your attention and you learn about it and you acknowledge it, you make it more real and more salient, you build these cords of connection that become thicker and thicker every time you do that. And eventually it's not, just that tree or just oh like that's a hemlock tree like that's the hemlock tree at my sit spot that the sparrows have been nesting in for the last three months and i watched a squirrel run up in there and steal their baby egg right and now you have an experience and i believe that that's kind of leading to that meaning that we find meaning in these things that become important to us because we're giving them our attention right like it's this kind of weird like cyclical um cycle Mm. so i i I love the idea of those those cords of connection because i i do another thing i like to to explore in the space is the uh the way in which so many people are um without necessarily realizing it coming to the outdoors as their means of meaning inspiration and 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 connection um and i i think there's an opportunity to more intentionally cultivate that practice you know to more intentionally to make a practice out of cultivating those cords of connection with the uh with the world that's around us it sounds like that's been a practice of yours for for a while hey Yeah, through the Wilderness Awareness School, we talk about the core routines, these things that you do routinely that cultivate connection through with you, the world, and also the people in the world. And right, if you think about like a a hunter gatherer and you zoom and kind of look at them in this bird's eye view, you will see all of these cords of connection, right? They're going to the water source, they're going to the berry bushes, they're going to the animals that they hunt and track, they're going to the tree where they get wood, right? There's all of these cords going out that they've cultivated. But we, we don't have that, like, we don't eat food from this continent. We don't even like even the food that has grown here is not native to this continent, but then it's, you know, grown, you know, hundreds of miles away. So we're, if you think about this idea that like you are made up of, of food and water and the minerals and all the things that you put into this body make up your body. And once upon a time, your body was made up of the place that you were living in, right? All of your water, all of your food, the microbiome, the sun angle, all the things that made you were in your environment locally. Now we're eating bananas from South America and avocados from California and fish from Thailand, right? We're like a weird conglomeration of different parts of the world um and and 
we're not we're no longer a reflection of our place and we're also not really connected to our place because we want to go on vacation we want to go hike somewhere we want to go travel somewhere right we want to go and like do and for me in my practice like i've been i've just been wandering the woods right behind this house and every day that i go out and wander i i my awareness expands and i harvested some turkey tails for one of the guys that's sick and i harvested some licorice fern and it took me a few days to attune to what's out there um but ultimately like i didn't i don't like you were asking me like, oh, have you gone and seen this? And this? like, I don't have to go anywhere. Like there are deer and bear and raccoons and turkey. Like there are all these creatures like so close by um, and having that awareness and that connection and like tracking and foraging helps me realize that those things are everywhere that I don't need to go and hike to get a selfie. I don't need to go and climb to get an experience that when I'm deeply connected with the world, it's always there um, waiting to reveal itself to me, to offer me opportunities to have meaningful experiences. Let's talk about a movement practice. Can you tell us a, a little bit about what, uh, what Evolve Move Play is about and what they, or what they do? Yeah, Evolve Move Play is very kind of simple in a lot of ways. We evolve to move. And one of the best ways to learn how to move is to play. We see this all across the animal kingdom, um, specifically in mammals, that mammals learn about their body, their space, how to hunt, and how to be in relationship with each other through play, right? And we know through play research that we're actually in a brain state that allows us to learn at an accelerated rate. So what we do is we take people out in nature and we use like a, a constraint-based approach. Like a game is essentially a set of constraints, right? Within the game, you can do this. You can't do that. You can do this. Um, and we give people the opportunity to explore their environment and give them permission to move and what, for every reason, we think of as ridiculous in our modern world, right? Or like, why would you jump over a log? Why would you dash, run, climb, crawl, um, and all of that stuff? So yeah, our big focus is, is taking people out into nature and allowing them to move through dynamic and complex environments um, for all of the, the benefits that they receive because of that. Mm. I, I love the call out on on play because that's something I've been been um, leaning into is paying attention to the the shift in my own consciousness when I'm in a state of play versus not. And for me, that's even if I'm doing a very serious task, uh, I I can feel when I'm in a state of play, I'm, I'm more creative. I'm, I'm a little bit more daring. I'm a little bit more assertive and, and I'm able to take risks. I, I, my consciousness is expanded as a state of it versus outside of that. If I'm in, let, let's just call it work mode. It, it's a lot more constrained, restricted, you know? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I, I really like this idea. So we use play all the time. People are like, let me play with this. Let me, I'm playing with an idea, right? We use it as common vernacular, despite many adults not playing it, like, right? They're like, 
they think a sport is like the only acceptable way to play. Um, but this idea of play we see in children is entering into the imaginal realm, right? Putting on and adopting a frame, right? And maybe that's like, I'm going to be a dinosaur. I'm going to be a monkey. I'm going to adopt the imaginal frame of being a monkey. I'm going to play in that frame. And then when I come back into the real world, I can pull insights from that. Like, wow, being a monkey was really good for developing wrist mobility. It's really good for developing upper body strength, right? So when we play, it allows us to loosen the constraints of, of like kind of our modern world and go into this imaginal realm where insights can be extracted that might not otherwise be as accessible. Mm. To speak more about this imaginal realm, because I, it, it, it's something that I feel like uh, it, it resonates to me because it's still fresh to me. But I imagine there's, there's many listeners who, who don't quite know where to start when you mean original, imaginal realm. Yeah, so we have imagination, right? So imagination is like, imagine that there is a big purple elephant like sitting next to me or imagine you're on a beach, you know, and you're hearing the waves, right? So imagination is this idea of like visualization, but the imaginal is actually adopting that frame, right? Like I'm going to... Um, I'm going to be dunk. I'm going to be a tiger. I'm going to be, I'm going to act like I have like giant arms or like weights in my hand, right? I'm going to participate in reality as if this frame is real, knowing that it's not. Mm-hmm. And what do you mean by frame in this particular instance? Um, yeah, like this, the metaphor is basically like if you have glass glasses on right you're looking through a frame you know and if you and that when you put on your glasses that helps you see the world better so you're looking through a frame and when you take off the glasses you're now you know looking through another frame a frame without glasses so looking through a flame is is basically looking through a perspective like i'm going to look i'm going to approach this as if I am a doctor. I'm going to think about it from that kind of mindset, that mind framing. Um, Does that help? Yeah, that is is, is absolutely helpful. Uh, One, because I I, I specifically heard John Vivekhi reference it a couple of times uh, without it fully landing. Um, But two, I can see, let's say I'm taking the frame of being a monkey. I can see like how you can do that without necessarily losing the the self you know and maybe that's a cool idea to play with um i think about how flow states are so often getting the self out of the way and and how peak experiences or peak states of consciousness uh is in many ways like channeling an energy outside of yourself um and so let me know if this goes anywhere, but the the idea of putting on a frame or playing in that space is is kind of similar to getting out of the way of the self. Does that like 
track at all? Yeah, it's your you're changing your your salience landscape so your salience like what is sailing to you what stands out to you what's like important to you right like if you're a mechanic you could hear somebody's brakes and that would be salient to you and you would know that they need new brakes right because that's kind of in your wheelhouse like for me like i hear birds and i know who those birds are it's salient to me so when you adopt a new frame or you adopt this kind of different mindset, it changes what is salient to your typical self, right? So now as a monkey, like my affordances, things I can do in the environment are now different than if I was a human. Like, oh, all of a sudden this table behind me, like as a monkey affords me different opportunities than myself might normally orient towards so yeah it does kind of like mm-hmm. kind of breaks it a little bit so that you can see a new world of possibilities sure sure and playing on the line of salience landscapes like in speaking to what you were, were were talking to earlier about being able to find chords of connection with the outdoors i think about um someone who who has zero connection whatsoever would would see tracks or changes in the mud in front of them as as perhaps a disruption or completely meaningless um i'm i could see myself at a point where i can kind of admire the textures in the the dirt but not be in a position to make meaning out of it uh, whereas someone who's trained in animal tracking will be able to uh, see the whole world of um, uh, the whole world that has taken place and the life that has been through that area, you know? Yeah. I mean, um, I went on a high, I went on a loop, I did the loop this morning and I, you know, certain things were standing out to me. I did it again in the afternoon and there was a new scat on the trail, right. That wasn't there in the morning. And that stood out to me as an event. Now I know something happened. An animal of some kind came throughout the few hours I was not out there and, you know, pooped on the trail, right? And it's like, now I can be like, did it come before me? Did it come after me? Did it come immediately after, right? I can start to like get a little bit more of a timeline of my environment, And so the more that I'm participating in the environment, the more these things are meaningful to me because I actually, I heard a crashing off in the bushes and then I found this fresh scat that had some resemblance of like bear-like texture. I'm not sure someone had actually stepped on it. Um, And so now I'm starting to put together these stories to potentially have a more meaningful experience. Like, Okay, I might just write that crashing off in the bushes. Like, I don't know what that was. Okay, now I connect that. Is is it connected to this scat? And then now I can have more data to make an interpretation. And like, wow, maybe I was pretty close to a bear. Oh, wow, there's still bears out here. Oh, wow, there's a bear right there. I should be more aware (laughs) as I'm moving through the forest so that I can either have a, so that I can have a safe interaction um, or not with that creature. 
So it kind of like it builds, right? It's like first, okay, there's a disturbance here. That means nothing to me yet, but I can file it away. And then as I go throughout my experience, as other salient things stand out to me, now I can be like, oh, actually, like those disturbances maybe are related to this and that. And now I put them together and now I see that I actually caused that disturbance. Right. So you're kind of like like there's a story happening out there. And it's like, why do people read the newspaper? Because they want to know what's happening in the world. Well, if you learn to pay attention to the things that are around you, you can learn what's happening in the world. And then you learn that you can participate in that interaction because you also belong in this world. And just as the animal is doing its thing and you you guys are both impacting each other in this dance, you find out that like, wow, like, like maybe you feel insignificant in your life. Like, oh, I'm, I'm not doing anything. I don't have any impact on the world, but through animal tracking, like, wow, I, I push that bird. Oh, I can have empathy for that interaction. Like, wow, maybe I'll be a little bit quiet next time maybe i'll move a little bit slower so i can not stress out those animals so much so through that kind of awareness and that dance you start to realize that you're you belong in this world you're impacting the world and that you can moderate that um and be empathetic to it yeah i like that i I thought that that's coming up for me um is that that sensitivity that that you build that that awareness i'm thinking about uh the i guess the flavor of consciousness associated with it if that's the word for it and i'm thinking about that compared to um the the flavor that comes from keeping up with the news understanding everything that's going on because i i don't know if you engage much in like the game b world outside of john viveki um, and it's making sense of the world, geopolitical moves, all that stuff. It's something I, I enjoy, but it's a, a very different flavor. And I'm, I'm thinking about that, but also like the, the flavor of the rat race, of hustle culture, of, of grinding, of getting shit done. Um, I'm curious how one, that like understanding like the news, what's going on in the world and two, like hustling and grinding show up for you. Yeah. I mean, I'm hustling out here. I mean, foraging is hustling, man. Like you got to get the shit when it's ready to go and you got to get it in great quantities and then you got to store it, stash it, dry it, um, make it. But yeah, I just find like being aware of the news, like I'm really like, it doesn't really impact me in the way that I see people um, kind of stress out about it. It's like all of these things are happening and you're not participating, you know, in those like bigger stories. So it kind of become like the news is, is so many layers outside of yourself. Like if you're watching the world news versus the U.S., news versus your local news versus like your neighborhood um little flyer like i think that's the level at which it like it it matters right like if there's like a giant earthquake 
like in India, like that sucks. And it like, it doesn't really change a lot of my day to day. But if a rock slide happens off that side of the mountain, I'm gonna like be a little bit more invested. And then if there's a bear in my backyard, I'm gonna be even more invested like in the reality of, of what that means for me. So that's kind of how I think about the news. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm caught up in like hustle culture, like influenced in that way. Like I'm trying to, you know, make money, sell classes and, and do, you know, I have to participate in the world. Like I'm like by no means like living off the land. Like I'm living off the grocery store. Like I bought my shirt at the T, you know, you know, and I have gone through a process of making all my own clothes out of animal skins. Um, and I've gone through this process of heart, like having it's, it's, it's rare, but every once in a while I have a meal that I completely harvested with my own hands, everything that's in that meal. Right. And that is like the most nourishing, most meaningful, rewarding meal that I can have. And like those other things, like these things, like this shirt doesn't mean shit to me. Like I could rip it and throw it and I don't care. But my buckskin vest that I've made and I've had for 10 years and I like know where that thing is all the time. Like that's really meaningful and important to me. So that's where I kind of see the like gradient of like those things are. It's not that they're not important. It's that I think the meaning is watered down the further out you get. Sure, sure. I I, I like that because that's what, what I'm I'm what I'm interested in in this question is like what does it mean to exist in two worlds? You know, because it it is for the vast majority of people it is not possible to live off the land, and so and and it shows up for me in that um, I vehemently hate Amazon and Jeff Bezos in particular but it is like i it's so hard to not shop on amazon it's just so convenient and i'm busy as shit um i mean i and i and i totally buy into um the impact of eating a diet uh in season native to your area but i mean there's a lot of effort that goes into that you know um and i think you kind of spoke to it by having like making a ritual out of making a uh, eating a meal that you harvested yourself, making a ritual out of um, creating some clothing for yourself. And, and, and I can see how that buckskin vest is like a very deep cord of connection to the world. You know, I'm curious, how else can one exist in two, in these two worlds simultaneously? Yeah. I honestly think it's pretty easy. Like, and again, like sit spot, like just, I'm in a massive, beautiful house right now and I can come out on the porch and I can just give my attention to the world and I can notice things. And the more that I notice, the more will be revealed to me. And one day I might realize like, wow, like actually there's a blackberry bush like in my front yard. And then I can go down there one day and I can be like, oh, this is a blackberry and I can eat it. And be like, wow, that was delicious. I wonder where there are more blackberry bushes. And now that is filed into your salience landscape. And as you're 
out in the world hiking, you might come across one. And then again, you can, you're increasing that connection and that, and all that goes into harvesting, but it starts very, very small. Like I actually, I used to run foraging classes at major parks in Seattle. Like people would come out and I'd be like, look, like this is a city park and it's in the middle of Seattle. Look how much food is just like going to waste, <laughs> right? Or like composting. The one thing, the thing I encourage for people is to start with like one thing, right? And it could be a, a necklace made out of a shell. It could be a, a berry that you harvested or right? It could be a mushroom. It could be, it could be anything, but just again, think about like when somebody gives you a gift that like they made, right? Think about how much more you value that than some bullshit they ordered off Amazon and sent to you because they forgot it was your birthday, right? Like what, what is going to make it onto the shelf, <laughs> right? Mm, no, I think that's, um, I, I totally agree with that. And I have the same struggle, like, because I live in very rural places, I often can't get the things I need from the store. So Amazon or the internet is actually like a really convenient option to get like, I'm like, wow, I need some new barefoot shoes. You know what they definitely don't sell in any of the stores in my area is barefoot shoes. So I have to, and it's, and it's, yeah, I don't think anybody should feel bad about it. Um, I think you should just find a way to just offer your attention to take something in, whether that's like a forest tea, like, you know, take some needles of a hemlock tree or a Doug fir tree or, you know, something like that. Make a tea. It can be so small. Like, I think, I think access is not a problem for most people. I like that. That's something I'm going to take away from this is I'm going to be able to identify. I've got a park right next to me, um, a tree or a plant close to me that I can harvest, uh, make a tea out of and form a ritual out of harvesting that tea, consuming that tea as a means of giving one, giving my attention to um, using it as a ritual for connection. Yeah. And then it's like, again, all that it's like, okay, so now you, you found a tree, right. And then you harvested from that tree and then you made a tea. Now, when you're out, maybe you're like on a walk with a friend or your partner, you're like, Hey, that's the tree I made the tea from. Right. Like now it is a story that tree has meaning like those other trees are cool, but that that's the tree that gave us the tea. So now I have a meaningful connection with that tree. Right. Like that's what you want to tell people. Right. Like people want to share stories. And I think about is like when you're foraging, you're harvesting stories. Like everybody loves to brag and like, oh man, like, look, I like, you know, people love like sales and deals. But when you're like, you know, it's kind of like your water bottle, right? Your water bottle is full of stories. Like this was, this is my friend's nature school. This is my friend's parkour gym. This is when I did that wilderness first responder class. Like you can bring that same thing. Um, yeah. Into your meals, 
into a tea or even like on like you, you know, like a shelf, right? A, a lot of people have like a little shelf where they have items. Um, you know, like I, I gifted my friend a rock from the river that we go cold plunging in. And now that rock sits on her desk. All right. And now it's like people are like, where'd you get that rock? It's like, oh, I go cold plunging in this river and that I, my friend gave me this rock and it's like, oh, it's a story. Like the, the item is the representation of the story and stories inherently have meaning. Mm, I love that. I love that. Um, I, I, but I do want to get back to, I guess, the, the movement side of uh, Evolve Move Play. Um, so we, we were speaking about how, how play comes into that and, and, um, uh, how it allows us to afford and, 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 um, consider how we, uh, our relationship to our own body. But, um, I, I'd love to explore how risk comes into it. I know, um, a mutual friend, Miranda, shout out Miranda is, uh, recently did, did a camp with you. And, and one, one thing she remarks is that she was, uh, she was impressed by the amount of, um, space for risk in your in your your courses, specifically the the rock jumping, uh, the boulder jumping in, in between um, uh, across a river and things. And I'm curious, yeah, how do you how do you go about evaluating and holding space for risk within your courses? Yeah, I mean the fact that injuries don't happen in a, our experiences is pretty mind blowing because um, we do some risky things, but you know, people drive their car every day, right? The probability of you getting in a car accident is like the most dangerous thing you could ever do. And people do it every day. Some people get in a car accident and they get back in the car the next day. And so there's this idea that there's risk and then there's danger. Okay. And if we separate those for a moment, risk is the probability that something will happen. Danger is the level of severity of that thing, right? So if I'm jumping from building to building, the danger, if I, the danger is very high, right? I will get hurt. I will die. Um, so I want to make sure that the risk of that is very low. So maybe it's only a one foot gap between those buildings, right? I can jump 10 feet, a running jump. I can jump 15 feet, right? The risk, the probability of me not making that jump is actually very low. Okay. So when we're in these experiences, we're trying to modulate that. Like if somebody messes up, like what is the actual danger? Are they going to get a, a cut or a scrape or a broken bone? is the danger and then based on the environment and that student what do we think is the relative risk and like people don't want to get hurt right like people don't want to fail so you have to like also trust them that if they think they can do it often the the mind is the biggest limiter like most people like you can physically do things that you can't mentally do. Right. Again, if I take uh, a relatively athletic person and they prove to me that they can jump two feet a hundred times on flat ground, 
then maybe I increase that to five feet, 10 feet, 20 feet. All of a sudden now we're on a skyscraper, same jump, but it's a different mental game, right? So the only limiting factor in that scenario is their own mind. And so when you get people out there and you have a supportive group, a strong milieu, you have strong and confident staff, you have a med kid, I'm the medical professional. If you do get hurt, like someone's there to take care of you, it really loosens the mental chatter of like, what if, and then it comes down to really those two ideas, like what is the probability of me getting hurt? And what is the severity of that injury if I were to fail? Sure. So the, the container that you're, you're creating is, is minimizing. Uh, I, I guess it's, it's, it's minimizing the danger, but also it, it's focusing in on um, the, the, what I see as the most transformative element, which is the, the mental block. Um, I, I see I see practices outdoors or adventure sports uh, having transformative potential in as a way to regularly, I guess, confront risk, but also confront our own fear. Is that like an intentional part of the the practice at EMP? For sure. We, we have an intentional um, idea that we bring in um, from a woman named Julie Angel. She has a great book called Breaking the Jump. Right. And it's this idea that like these things call to us like, ooh, like there's something about like this jump that like it's not for you. It's not for you. But like there's something about it that is like calling to me and you feel the fear in that. Right. Of like, ooh, like this is at my edge. Right. Like I, I could probably do it, but I've never done it. So I don't know if I can do it. Right. And then there's that process of going through. Um, there's actually a, a whole kind of process of like, I feel the call to the jump. I assess the jump. I assess the risk and the danger. I assess the bails. If I fail, can I actually manage that failure? Right? Like a business, like an investor might do. They're like, cool, I'm going to invest in this business. Or like, I'm going to invest in Bitcoin. Like if I lose the money, hopefully you invested an amount that you're okay with losing. Right. So if I, if I can't make the jump, I'm, I'm have good falling skills. I'm totally okay with being scraped. Like I I'm willing to take the risk and I can manage the danger of that happening. So I take on the fear and then I move through that whole process. And let's say I make it and I'm successful. I've now broken the jump. I've broken through this level of fear and my edge that was here is now here. Now every jump like this is accessible to me. Every opportunity that was previous full of fear, I now know that I'm capable of it and I've expanded that kind of like zone. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's one of the, like the, the, the key transformative modalities of playing outdoors is it so often gives you the opportunity to explore your edge, but also push past it. 
you know, and, and that is a muscle that you can apply to all aspects of life. Is there, what other uh, aspects are you, would you call other, like the transformative aspects that one can get from movement or one can get from um, what you're teaching at, at, at Evolve Move Play? Yeah, I think a lot of people come away with this sense of belonging, this sense of connection, the sense that there are other people out there like me that are longing to play and to be in physical contact with other adults. Um, and just like you said, like one of the big ideas that we like to um, elucidate um, is transference right so like the classic example is like okay there's these parkour guys that people would be like wow you're so courageous I just saw you jump from tree to tree from rock to rock you did a double backflip off this waterfall like wow you're so full of courage but then you see that they're unable to ask a pretty woman out on a date. They're unable to ask for a raise in their job. They're unable to give one of their friends some critical feedback, right? All of those things take courage. And so one of the things that we always do is, is we use dialoguing practices to basically have physical representations of virtues or character development that we want to cultivate in ourselves and we can use movement as a way to cultivate that but ultimately if it doesn't transfer into our day-to-day in our relationship like how useful is it really right like then you're just an adrenaline junkie out there seeking this fulfillment in your outside life and meanwhile your relationships and your job and yourself is just like suffering and you're reliant you become reliant on a physical practice right so like the for me it's like like i'm injured right now i cannot physically express myself in the ways that people know me for but i can I'm still, I have a, a, I have cultivated my character like a video game that I have honesty and truth and courage and all of these ways that I'm bringing this into my life so that even if I lose my legs and my arms and like whatever, I can't do parkour ever again, I've at least cultivated the person that I want to be and nobody can ever take that away from me that's not a physical that's not a tangible thing that's something that exists within me and I think that's ultimately what we're trying to help people achieve and realize Mm, you articulate that so well I I mean this project Mountain Whispers is exploring the deeper lessons we we learn from the outdoors and and so it's it is a project of transference and um, it's something I, I I really like to play with is is what it means. What what is the art of the send? I, I I've had quite a few professional athletes on, and we talk about what it means to to send it, and and also that how so often extreme sports can be a vice. You know, what's the difference between extreme sports as a vice versus an intentional practice? And um, I think an intentional the difference between a vice and intentional practice is being able to cultivate a relationship with that 
with what it means to be at your edge. So that feeling of fear, of risk, of inertia, to be able to push past it and then be able to, which is most easiest in the outdoors, at least for me, and then be able to apply that to relationships, to work life, to, to, to other aspects like that. Yeah, it's like asking the question, does this transfer? Is this transferring? Right. I'm sending it. I'm doing crazy routes. I'm ice climbing waterfalls. I'm like showing my like this amazing potential that exists within me. But then like, I don't want to go to work. <laughs> like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do the hard thing in my relationship. Right. Like, oh, like I, I really should break up with this person, but it's too hard. Um, I'm just going to go, you know, climb that mountain behind me. That's way, that's easy. Right. It's like, well, like you're, it's, it's, it's the same, 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 like, is it, can I bring that mindset, that skill, that practice into all other areas? Right. Like, oh, like, I don't want to do my taxes. <laughs> you're like, what? Like, that's what's hard for you. <laughs> right. And, and what's hard for, and to recognize that it's what's hard for others is easy for some. So there's that grading as well. It's not a judgment thing. It's just, I, I would say the same person who like does the really hard thing and gives hard feedback and hard conversation and is willing to ask for a raise. I would say that when they're outside and they're presented with an opportunity to do something hard that they bring in that mind that it comes the other way too. Absolutely. I want to circle back on um, what you, you, you hinted at earlier about belonging. Um, Tell me about how you cultivate that sense of belonging and community. Yeah, it's been a really long (laughs) process of mostly feeling like I don't belong. Um, and I think many of us are experiencing that nowadays. It's like, it's like, let's say you get into rock climbing. It's your first day in rock climbing, right? You, you don't have the right gear. You don't have the right terminology. Like you don't even know what like a V5 means, right? So you, you feel like you don't really belong. You're kind of an outsider, right? And then you kind of, you get the right gear, you got the right shorts, you got the chalk bag, okay? You're like, oh, that's a jug, that's a crimper. Oh, I know what a V7 is. Like, you start speaking the language, you start having the look, and now you feel like you belong in that group. And then when you see a newbie come, you're like talking shit and they're like, they don't belong. So I think like, that's one of the best ways is to like, cause there's all these um, arenas, right? There's all these environments that we go into. Um, and that's like clothing is a really kind of cool way. Like if you're going to a wedding and you show up in like a ripped t-shirt and jeans, you're going to get feedback that you don't belong there. <laughs> right. Um So I think in my relationship with nature is just learning the language and learning and by participating and being in relationship and seeing that 
I'm just learning more and more that like, I do belong. Like I, I had an experience. I was living in like a hole in the ground for like seven days and just like living out. I had all my stuff with me and me and my friends, we walked upon a group of deer and the deers, they just looked at us and we looked at them and didn't run. They just went back to eating. We didn't like make a big deal about it. We just kept going. Like they looked at us as if we were just animals because we are. And in that moment, I felt this deep belonging. I'm just like the deer, like they, they're like, Oh, like look at those weird animals, like walking through. Like I woke up in that week, I woke up and I had a junco nesting in my beard while I was asleep. I woke up, there's literally a bird in my beard. And I just like, and I didn't think at the, in the moment, I wasn't like, oh my God, this is so cool. I was like, this is natural. Like, this is just how it is. Like when you're an animal on the landscape, you like, you don't freak out or like make a big deal about it. You're just like, yeah, of course, there's a bird in my beard. Like, of course, the deer are hanging out with me. Of course, I got to, you know, be by that skunk. Like, um, so I think over time, as you learn the language and you learn about the hemlock tree and you drink the tea and you forage and you learn the animals of your place, you are just realizing and then you have the outfit, right? And all the stuff like, like that's what culture was. Like if you look in the museum, you see that all of the clothes are of a place. All of the food is of a place. All of the colors are of that place. The language the songs are of that place, right? Like you have an accent, <laughs> right? I have an accent because we're from a place and that place is, you know, we belong. Like when you come to Canada or America, people are like, wow, you have an accent. When you're in New Zealand, you just belong. People don't say, hey, Tim, like, why are you speaking in an accent? <laughs> right? Because you're, you, you're, you're belonging. And so that I think is the journey is just recognizing both when you don't belong and then when you do belong in applying that to the many places um, that you go to. Mm. T- tell me more about that, that seven uh, day, day experience. Cause I, others have talked about that, the journey of transformation that, that happens in kind of slowly removing yourself out of that. What, what do you think were the, the key moments in that? Let's call it a belongingness journey of that period you spent. Yeah, I think it's, you know, you could look at it like scientifically, like my brain waves are attuning to the frequency of the earth. I'm not talking, right? Like we didn't, we were like whispering, we were attuning. I think attunement is really the key, right? Like if you're in a grocery store and you're screaming, you're not attuned, right? You see this in children, like a a child on a plane is not attuned to the environment that it's in and it stands out to everybody else. But when you spend enough time in a place, you start to attune to that place. And we talk, what we call is, is baseline. What is the baseline, right? Like what is the heartbeat of this place And then am I, is something out of baseline or is something below baseline, right? And 
as we attune to what's happening through bird language, through tracking and awareness, through time of day, we start to basically, we attune and we, we mirror that environment. Like, okay, it's nighttime, right? Everybody gets quiet, right? It's daytime. I can be a little bit louder, right? I'm, I'm, I'm attuning to that space and the longer I spend in that place, the better my attunement hopefully is. Mm, and you're not the first person to, to give accounts of after a certain period in a space, the, the fauna of that area becoming more comfortable with you. Do, do you think that there's a, a sense amongst the animals of this region of that, like on day one, they would be able to sense you don't belong here, but at, towards the end, they can feel that attunement, would you say? Yeah, I mean... Uh, animals are communicating and so are we. We're communicating more through body language than the words coming out of our mouth. And more importantly than the words is the tonality of our words. So, right, if you're walking down the street at night and it's scary, like you get big. If you're like sad and you want to hide, you get small, right? So as you attune to that space and your body relaxes, the animals are paying attention to your body language and they're trying to decipher safe or not safe, right? And pretty much the binary. And as like you're relaxed, they're like, you know, like as I attune and melt into the environment, those deer are like, these people are not hunting us. And if you ask a hunter, like as soon as they go hunting, like the amount of wildlife they see goes down like dramatically. Like whenever I don't have a gun, I see like turkeys and bear and deer all the time. As soon as I put a gun in my hand, like I'm like, the forest is empty. Like what, what's going on here? I know, I know we're coming up close to time here. So the, the, the kind of the area I wanted to end on was um, cultivating awe and reverence. Can you tell us a little bit how, you go about cultivating how awe shows up or how you go about culti- cultivating or, or reverence in your practice with the outdoors? Yeah, I think it, I think it comes down to connection and practice. And, you know, I think a lot of us experience this idea of awe and reverence, like in a sunset, like at a mountain, like something that is like so big and so miraculous that it, it just grabs your attention, right? You couldn't, you could, you like couldn't ignore it, right? And we see this on social media. Those are the pictures and things like that. And as we like deepen into that connection, I think we, I personally, I find the awe in the smaller things, right? Like, um, like fall, like fall in the Midwest is just like mind blowing the colors. You're like, this is like free drugs. The fact that people are not losing their shit right now, that the entire world is like orange and red and yellow is like, like amazing to me. And then you can kind of zoom that in and look at a leaf and see the speckled colors and like, it's like, for me, it's like being in the mystery, right? Like, that's when I feel the, the awe. I'm like, wow, like, why, 
is that tree like that? Why is that mountain like that? Why is that bird doing that thing? It's like when I, you know, like when you, you see a sunset, you're like, why is this so beautiful? Like, why are the clouds pink? You know, like in a storm. I think, I think the awe and the reverence, it comes easily at scale. And then I think as you zoom in and you really start to get curious about the mystery of why something is the way that it is, you start to find the awe in, in smaller things. Hmm. There, there's, an, there's an attunement element to that as well. I, I'm thinking about um, w- what it means to find awe and reverence in the small things while also existing in two worlds because i i I think um when i'm when i'm in a space that i'm i'm not working and i've got a lot of spaciousness to notice the small things i'm i'm able to find that but i i'm reflecting on the the last couple of weeks that have been very intense with my my day job um how hard it is to make space for that what does it look like for you to be able to transition to be able to make space or, or what are rituals like you for, for you to be able to find or in the small things? Yeah, honestly, it's like, it's just like become who I am. Like I'm just always, I'm always paying attention and I've given myself, I think, I think if people just allowed themselves moments of curiosity i think curiosity and awe are like deeply linked and we get so busy that we think we don't have time to be curious right and we can look out the window and just notice where our eyes want to go and what questions might emerge and then that allows us that little moment like as i'm you know walking to the mailbox and I, a gust of wind blows and the leaves are falling. Like that's a moment that like grabs my attention and I can give myself permission to be curious. Like, whoa, like why are all these leaves falling? Like, where did that wind come from? And then I can just like shut that down, grab my mail and like walk back into my house. Right. So it's like, finding those little spaces to let curiosity and to notice when your attention, it's kind of like, it's like the opposite of meditation in some ways, like in meditation, we're like, when a thought comes, we're like letting go of it. It's like letting, when we notice the curiosity arise, stay with it for just as long as the moment allows. Hmm. It's funny you, you bring a meditation that came into my mind as well. Um, for for me, I was reflecting on it recently that my meditation practice has has in some forms just became like flossing my teeth. It's like a a space I put at the start of the day because I know cultivating space, watching my thoughts, bringing my attention back is like a very important practice for me to 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 do regularly. But there, it's been a long time since I've felt awe or spaciousness from my meditation practice like I, I I have in the past. And I think um it's almost 
for me a sign that I'm moving too fast. That I need to um I I need to spend some time in nature without an agenda to open up that curiosity and awe, you know, it's a, like, I haven't been noticing it because I haven't been aware that I've been in such a focused work mode. Well, Kyle, there's, there's so much I've, I've got from this. This has been a, been a, been a really great conversation. I'm, I'm curious if there's anything else you want to present uh, in terms of the wisdom that you've gained from the outdoors. You can't get anything unless you go outside. So I want to encourage people as much as possible, whenever the opportunity, whether it's a minute or five, to just find a moment to open up the door, the window, and to go outside. And once you're there, so much magic is possible. And that's that's where it all begins. If you want to the tracking, you want to experience awe and reverence, you want to engage with the world, you want to see cool things, you want to have cool experiences, you have to go outside, even in the winter, even in the dark, even in the cold, even in the wet, there is always magic to be found outside of the wall. Beautiful. And and where can people find more of Kyle? Where can people find more of Evolve Play? Yeah, uh, EvolveMoveplay.com. I'm Kyle at Trotting Sparrow, um, TrottingSparrow.com. I'm pretty active on there. You can message me. I'm happy to chat with folks. Um, yeah, and that's where we're at right now. We'll be running retreats again in the spring. And um, yeah, that's what we're doing. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time, Kyle. Yeah, Tim, this was super great. Great questions. I really appreciate their like deep thought and exploratory. Um, I really appreciated this. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Mountain Whispers. Like I say, there's an awful lot of really great listening content out there. So it means a lot that you chose this one. You'll find links to everything we discussed in the show notes where you can find Kyle, where you can find Evolve Move Play, links to John Vivekey's work, a book Kyle mentioned, Breaking the Jump by Julie Angel, as well as probably some more stuff. If you enjoyed this, please do the like, subscribe thing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, but even more importantly, share it with a friend. You'll find another episode in two weeks every second Thursday or so. Much love, take care.